0: a podcast about product management, user experience, design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome back to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and this week, uh, I'm super excited because we have with us Jens Getzman, and we're we are super excited to be talking with uh, Jens today, who is a, a longtime product manager, and he has been writing a lot about product management. and We will we'll dive into a little bit about that and his background in just a second. But first off, it's great to have you. Welcome to welcome to the podcast, Jens.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, you are the head of product at RevenueCat, which is a subscription management uh, software as a service. And you have also been in product management at other places, including a fitness app, 8Fit, Microsoft's enterprise social network, Yammer, uh, which is super interesting. And you are based in uh, Germany. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yeah.
0: Cool. So, uh, with that kind of intro, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, so my, uh, by, by background, I'm, I'm I'm a computer scientist. I studied computer science back in, back in uni and kind of on the side had a, had a couple of failed startups that never really amounted to anything, you know, kind of startup is almost too grand a word for the the projects that I had going. Um, but basically i i doing that, I realized that I knew how to code, but I didn't really know anything about basically building building a business or you know making money <laughs> um, and with that uh i I decided to join uh consulting or I become a consultant, so I went into management consulting um and kind of as you do i had the the uh idea of doing that for a couple of years and it ended up being five years in the end um but by the time the, the the kind of five year market had come around i I decided that that was enough and that I wanted to kind of get back to you know building stuff and and not just uh building powerpoint slides <laughs> so um you know with that said i I figured that now with the with my background in technology and the um the kind of business acumen that I had built up uh working in consulting um that that product management would be a good fit kind of you know to 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 bridge the, the different worlds. Um, and yeah, so decided to to pursue a product management career, joined Microsoft, um, uh, in the, in the Yama team as a product manager. I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then, uh, joined, joined eight fit, um, first as a product manager, then became head of product there over time. Um, and then, yeah, a few months ago I joined revenue cat. Um, so, you know, Given at 8Fit at um, as a subscription based mobile app, I had learned about the challenges of, of managing uh, subscriptions across different platforms. And so I knew the pain points that Revenue Cat is solving pretty well. Um, so I decided that that would be a good next step. And yeah, I have been there for about three months now and, and been loving it.
0: Awesome. Um, that is super fascinating. So uh, stepping back just a little bit, were you exposed kind of in your early stages in the consulting world to, to product management? Um, or did that come in some other way? I'm just interested because it feels like all of us come into product management in just some, some interesting way and, you know, either find out about it or kind of stumble into it. And so were you exposed to it in some way or, you know, find out about it and, and it just kind of caught your interest and you were able to kind of move into
1: it? I think that's a great question, and I <laughs> like I I honestly don't know the exact answer. So I mean, I was um, in my last year of consulting, I was in San Francisco, so I was already mm-hmm. kind of somewhat embedded in the in the tech world, yeah. knew lots of people in the tech world, and. Um, and so, I mean, I, I did some consulting um, also in my last couple of years for for tech uh, company clients, but it wasn't really like directly working with the with kind of product development. So my exposure there was somewhat limited. I think it was mostly basically through friends who who worked in uh, the, the tech industry in San Francisco. Um, and I think my first conversations were really, you know, with like product managers that my friends had introduced me to, um, to kind of see, you know, is this, is this something that could be interesting to me? Um, and yeah, then decided that it was interesting and, and decided to pursue that. And, you know, I think like one of the interesting, uh, kind of, you know, everybody gets their start in product management somehow, <laughs> so some, you know, like it's, it's not something that you learn typically like in, in school. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So for me, it was basically just lots of applications to, um, to those companies that would accept non-product managers into a product management role. And, like, you know, of course, there are these days, um, the, like, you know, APM and or RPM programs that, that also accept Typically taken, uh, college graduates, or whatever. Uh, but given that I was most certainly not a, pro- a college graduate anymore at that point, um, <laughs> I just had to find those companies that that would give somebody a shot that didn't have direct product experience. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think like it's turned out well, but you know, everybody has to get their start somehow. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, no, that that's super interesting. And it's, it's always interesting to me to find the different ways that people kind of come into product management because it's, there are probably similar paths, but it's no two are exactly alike. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, very cool. So very interesting background. And, you know, the, the reason that, you know, we're kind of talking was, you know, you write a lot about product management and your experience, and you obviously have a lot of experience in product management with a number of different companies, including, uh, you know, heading up product management in, you know, somewhat in the last organization and then, you know, in your current organization. And you, like I said, you've written a number of great articles about product management. So I'm interested, what has been kind of the inspiration for the writing that you do and what kind of got you started in writing those articles?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think in general, like I've, I've always been interested in kind of I guess, sharing and educating, um, you know, from like for, for a very long time. So, you know, back in, uh, back in uni, I, I kind of taught some like, you know, HTML classes and stuff like that also worked as a teaching assistant for a while. So I, I you know, I guess just kind of sharing my, uh, my knowledge is something that I've, uh, that I've always been interested in and um over the years, I've had a kind of i think a couple of failed blog attempts <laughs> um you know about different topics that I didn't stick with for longer than a year or whatever so you know they're kind of now I've been writing about product management essentially ever, almost ever since I became a product manager. And you know, what really got me started was that you know I joined Yammer in product management, and one of the I think one of the first articles that I, uh, one of the first like you know posts that I ever wrote was about the product teardowns that we used to do at Yammer. Um, and you know, interestingly, it's, it's still like one of my most read articles. You know, <laughs> even though it's now five years old, but it, it keeps you know keeps getting more and more reads. Um, so. Um, you know how that came about was really that you know this was this like weekly kind of ceremony that we had where we, you know, every Friday afternoon we would sit together as the entire product management team. And also, you know, some designers and user researchers, um, um, and just like look at any new product that was interesting and just kind of play with it, try and understand how, why it was built the way that it was built. Uh, you know, try to understand the strategy behind it. Um, think about what we liked and what we didn't like, and kind of also then how we might apply some of these learnings to, um, to Yammer, so through the product that we were working on, and so when I joined, uh, this kind of uh, regular meeting had had somewhat kind of yeah fallen asleep. So it wasn't really done every week, and you know basically, I think my my manager said, "Hey, you know, we have this meeting. It's it's, it's not really working. We need somebody to basically just run it every week." And I think you know she said, "I think it could it could be good if you did that and owned that, and you know just have something to kind of run that's that's very." low, um, you know, you don't have to have a great deal of knowledge. You just have to like, make make sure you organize it and show <laughs> up and, and have, have something to discuss every week. Yeah. So I started running that and, and that was then the, you know, kind of the impetus to also start writing about that. And, um, yeah, that got me started. And you know, I've, I've been writing kind of ever since, um, at the beginning, I, I wrote a, a number of articles basically for the, for the Yammer blog and, you know, eventually just started writing more myself. And over the past, let's say two and a half years or so, I've I've made it a habit to publish at least once a month. Um, and you know, occasionally more frequently. But yeah, that's that's how I got started. And you know, that I mean it's it's interesting, I think, because like once you get into a habit of actually thinking about, hey, I want to write something on a regular basis, you just kind of start building that that rhythm and that muscle to actually like, you know, whenever some interesting idea Pops into my head that I'll write it down somewhere. You know, maybe I'll i write about this, and you know, it also helps me just kind of in in terms of like forming my own thoughts about like and my my own kind of principles, how I think about the profession, how I think about like my own work, and and kind of how I apply that going forward.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I, I absolutely love it. Um, I haven't, oh gosh, I've read a whole bunch of your articles. I haven't gone back to that first one. I'm going to have to because that sounds one. I love the idea of just doing a product teardown now you you were doing them with just other people's products, not just internal products, but just you take anything interesting and just say, let's, let's look at this. I love that idea. So in your writing, you mentioned, you know, it's helped you clarify and some of your ideas and some of your thinking has that been, you know, and as well as just share, uh, you know, some of the things that you've been learning, has that been some of the main benefits to you, or have you found other benefits to to writing regularly as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it. Like to me, it's. I mean, I, you know, I guess there's a there's a couple of benefits there. Uh, one is just you know the kind of increased awareness um, that you kind of bring if you think about like how might I actually write about this, and then also you know to some extent, like writing is also a fu- forcing function to actually okay. like formalize some of the thoughts and, and, and principles and, you know, see some of the gaps as well. And you're thinking when you actually write things down. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that, that's certainly, uh, that's certainly one of the aspects. And I think there, yeah, I mean, it just also kind of expands your horizon, um, to, you know, keep thinking of what are other things, what are other aspects that I haven't really uh, touched on in my writing that that could be interesting as well. Um, and then I guess the, the side benefit, but that's not, really not what I, I would say is the main benefit for me is, um, that it kind of builds, it's maybe a bit of a personal brand, I guess. Um, you know, I mean, otherwise I probably would not be on this podcast today. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, I guess another benefit, even though I don't necessarily, um, you know, that's it's not a benefit for me, but you know, I, I feel good if people read it and it resonates with them, and they learn something from it, they take something away from it. So, I mean, that's that's certainly a benefit as uh, as well. Even though you know, I don't I don't always uh, like learn about that, right? Like, I mean, I hope like from just from the number of reads that some of the articles get, I hope that some people are getting something or taking something away from them. Uh, but you know, I don't I don't always personally experience that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I, I used to work for, uh, a, a couple of former Amazon executives. And so that was a huge thing for them was writing out ideas and writing out your thoughts. And, uh, it really, it exposes a lot of holes in your thinking, uh, that you could just in talking about them kind of, I don't want to say paper over, but you could kind of gloss over If you're just talking or or you're just thinking about it, but when you have to actually write it out, you find that you either know something or you don't because you have to put it actually down on paper or on the screen, and so you, like you said, it's a forcing function to show that you have a handle on it or you don't, and you have to make sure your your thinking is very clear and concise and things like that. So that's super interesting. I love I love it. So diving into some of your uh, your articles that you've written is the, I guess I'll ask first, is there, is there a favorite that you have? You mentioned the the one that you wrote early on about the product teardowns, which sounds super interesting, but is there, is there something you've written that you just, you, that stands out as a favorite or you look back on and you're like, yeah, I just, I, I love that one. I nailed it.
1: Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. Like, I mean, I think so. So one thing that, that I think is interesting is that I definitely can still not tell what articles are going to do well and which ones aren't, you know, sometimes it's, it's very surprising ones, um, that, you know, collect a lot of visits, a lot of reads, and maybe it's because nobody has written about that in exactly the same way, or maybe, I don't know, for some, like, uh, for some reason it's ended up on the top of a Google search or something. <laughs> I don't know. So you know, here's like one example of of one that, I didn't think was the, the, like the most insightful thing uh, <laughs> in the world or whatever that, that did quite pretty well, which is um, I wrote an article on how to set up a product organization. Um, so, you know, that one did really well. And, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't say it's one of my favorite articles, but you know, it's it's just kind of one that, that has, uh, has been rather successful. I think maybe the one that I'm, still kind of proud of, and it has a funny background story as well, Or well, like not funny, but like interesting background story as well is, is one, uh, it's called how to, uh, how to build a product roadmap. Um and here's the interesting the interesting backstory is I wrote this at a t- at a time when I was, you know, kind of interviewing for some jobs. In the end, like I didn't actually end up changing jobs, but I had some mm-hmm. job interviews. And that was one of the questions that somebody asked me. And I didn't really have a great answer, but it just kind of I mean, like, you know, of of course I had some answer, but it wasn't great or like you know, really formalized or whatever, or um really thought through end to end. So that question kept nagging at me. So then I was like, okay, I actually should write down like how. What do I think should be like the ideal process for for uh, for creating a product roadmap that isn't just a list of features, right? But that is actually uh, you know focused on outcomes instead of outputs, but that still kind of makes sense and and everything. And I, I think I've like then started building on that idea more. And I mean, you know, I guess that's often the case with, with uh, people who write about product management, that they have certain themes that they kind of expand on over time. And, you know, certainly I think like roadmapping prioritization is one of the areas that I've just been thinking a lot about. And, um, you know, where I've had several, you know, several articles that kind of kept expanding on the same idea. Um, but yeah, I don't think I have a single favorite article. Um, yeah, they're, they're all my They're all my like children, the, the, the written kind. So,
0: Oh, um, I I think that's funny. Um, I, so I, I, I too enjoy writing a bunch and you hit on a couple of things that probably anybody who writes acknowledges as well in that one, sometimes you just write because you, you, need to and you want to and i found that like uh it's just sometimes it's just cathartic and i just you just write because you just want to and then it some of that ends up doing like really you put it out there and you, for no other reason than you just like you needed to think through something and you write it and it really resonates with, with other people. And like, wow, that didn't expect that. And then some things like you, you really, you can write something, you're like, man, this just, it's really resonating with me. And, and you put it out there and it's just, you're the person who it really resonates with. And, and it, you know, it, maybe it's the timing or, or just whatever other reason, but it's it's just, it, it doesn't end up being like the hit article or the hit post that you think it might be. And it's just interesting to kind of see that variation across across time and across different themes and articles and that it's hard to predict what exactly is going to resonate with other people, especially in product management articles. But anyway...
1: And I think the interesting thing there to me is that that is like such a good parallel to product management or like product development work in general, you know, like, um, you can do a lot of kind of upfront thinking and and theorizing and hypothesizing, but you know, sometimes the, 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 your pet feature that you really loved that you built and you know, then you measure it. and know adoption is low. It didn't actually <laughs> move the metrics in the way that you wanted it to, uh, people are confused about it and it looked so, great in your own head and I'm the prototype and you really still think it's the best thing since sliced bread but you know in the end adoption is 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 poor or whatever right so I think you know to me uh, that's actually one of the, the the things that I find so interesting is that you know it's you know both writing and product development is kind of a creative endeavor right and and any creative endeavor you get better at with, with practice, uh, but also just with the, the number of shots that you take kind of, and, you know, some of the shots will end up missing in, in both of the, uh, you know, in both writing and, and, yeah. uh, and product development. And, you know, there's, I mean, of course you can like minimize the risks, um, but you know, sometimes still things will, will fail.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. Those, those two things are very, very similar in, in a number of different ways. All right. So Talking about you know some of your articles specifically, I, I want to dive into a couple of the different topics that you've written about, and one of them was working with engineers. Um, you know, working with engineers as product managers and, and product teams is probably one of the most important things that we do, and it's something that you wrote about. So, at a high level, you know, what is Or what are some of the things that you wish you knew, um, you know, coming into product management about working with engineers and engineering teams uh, before you started? And and maybe what are some of the things that you've learned in working as a product manager with engineers?
1: Yeah. So I'll I'll kind of, you know, without walking through like (laughs) the exact points that I made in the article, I'll I'll kind of maybe try to pull it up um, a level, I think one of the things in general is that as a product manager you should really try and think of engineers as your your partners in the process kind of end to end um you know i think that starts with getting engineers to help you understand their perspectives getting um getting them to help you understand how the system works how the architecture works what the kind of crucial constraints are where things are easy and where things are difficult and you know i think it depends a little bit how how technical your background is, how easy that's gonna to come to you, so you know I think the the less technical a person you are as a as a product manager, the more you'll have to work there um however, I think in general that that's getting engineers to basically tell you about their world and tell you about the the constraints that they face and the the challenges they face and kind of the battles they fight um you know I think that's that's just something that that I think is is very good advice. And definitely something where I, in the beginning was a little bit too much, like I should know this stuff. And I, I you know, basically that's never the case. I mean, you should never feel bad about just, you know, getting an engineer to sit you, like, sit down with you and just talk you through some of the most, you know, what, what is difficult about their job and what isn't difficult and like what, what, how does the system work? Um, another thing about treating them as partners. And I think that's something that I still like to this day, I would say that I'm still working on is how to get engineers involved very early in in really the, you know, not just the, what are we building, but why are we building it? Um, You know, getting them exposed to customers, getting them exposed to the real problems that you're solving. Um, I think it's, you know, it's definitely one of the things where over time I've, come to realize and and appreciate the importance of that for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know, for one thing, motivation wise, it's just, you know, much easier to motivate yourself if you know that you're actually solving problems for somebody rather than just kind of making code work, but also, you know, all the micro decisions that you take, um, you know, as an engineer, you know, you're not just kind of making big decisions about the, the product that, you know, maybe as a product manager, you, you basically can dictate if you're if you're not like partnering with engineering, but you know there's there's many micro decisions that a, an engineer will take kind of any given day, and if they really understand why what you're doing and why you're doing it and how this how this relates to the problem that the the customer has in the end, and then they can make better decisions for every single like micro decision that they take. So you know that's that's certainly something where and you know the, it's it's not without challenges. It's, it's like easy to say that, but it's not without challenges because of of course. The weight of product work early in the fa- in um in the in the phase of any given project or, or mission or feature, or whatever, uh, is of course higher. And you know, perhaps an engineer still working on the last things, last thing. So, like pulling them out of that into the product discovery can you know can sometimes be tricky. But but yeah, it's it's certainly one of the things where I think you know it's it's hard to learn, but it's really really important to learn to how to do that well. And I think ideally you know you do that by just finding engineers that you can partner with really well and that you can just bounce ideas off um uh, you know one another and yeah i think you know th- those are maybe some of the like higher level um higher level topics oh yeah maybe one other topic to mention and you know that's something that's kind of interesting because it differs from from company to company is really understanding the development process and what your role as a product manager is in it and it really depends from company to company i mean the development process change might change from company to company, but also the role of the product manager, you know, for example, how much, how much of a project manager is the product manager supposed to be, uh, and, you know, in some companies, you know, product managers do a lot of project management of, you know, writing, writing tasks and making sure that uh, nobody is blocked and, and whatever. And in others, you know, they, that is all done by senior engineers, or engineering managers. So it really depends, but you know, that's, that's certainly something where having a good understanding of that and, but also, you know, helping improve the processes where you can, I think it's, it's, it's really important.
0: Yeah. You have du- you've touched on so many great points that I think are just absolutely spot on uh, understanding, like really understanding the engineers and like the development team and what is, Like what's the process, what are the pain points and you know, what the technical, like what the tech stack is and just how things work. I, I, you brought up the point of like, as, as product managers, I think often we feel like we should understand everything and it can be really difficult to ask questions, but it is so important to just come into things and understand that you can't know everything and you shouldn't know everything. And probably nobody expects you to under, understand everything. And if they do, you know, that's probably just a misplaced expectation and that the more questions you ask and the more just straight up, the more ignorance you admit and just say, like, I don't know everything and I'm, I'm just going to be OK with that. The better you will be able to serve and serve everybody and the better you will be able to, like, come up to speed, like quickly as opposed to just pretending that you understand everything and then, you know, getting six months down the road and not really understanding like what the process is and like what the technology is and what the biggest obstacles are and things like that. And so like I think early on, just really asking those types of questions and being willing. Honestly, it comes down to just being willing to be stupid at the beginning and uh, ask lots of questions, which can be really, really difficult, especially for, for product people. Cause I feel like most of us just want to be like, we know it, we understand it. Like we're, we're like very driven people for the most part. And so it can be hard to admit a lot of ignorance in a lot of places.
1: Yeah. And I, I, think, I think that's a fantastic point. And I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because I think like the more the more senior I get, the more advanced <laughs> in my career, the easier it's yeah. gotten for me to basically admit what I don't know, I, um, which, is, which is kind of interesting because like, I also know what I know. Right. And I guess, you know, especially early in your career, you kind of just, you know, trying to like be seen as knowing more than you do. Yeah. But in some in, in some of these areas, I think, you know, it, it just doesn't help because just you'll, you'll get stuck at the same, you know, in the same spots again and again, if you don't ask and really try to understand what's going on. Right. So yeah, I think it's, that's absolutely true.
0: Yeah. And understanding like where you fit into the team, you mentioned that as well. And and I think you're exactly right. It it feels like the, the more senior you get, the easier it is to just, you know what you know, and you're absolutely willing to admit to all of the things that you don't know. And it's just easier. I can remember being much younger in my career and just not wanting to admit ignorance on a lot of things because it felt like I should know these things and I don't. And so I need to just not admit to it and just like act like I know. But it's so much easier as you as you get further in your career to be like, I don't know. I don't know what this is. You know, I I know a lot of things, but I don't know this and I don't know this. So like you're going to have to tell me you're going to have to walk me through that. Being able to do that early on will be a serious advantage like if you're younger in your career just admitting that you don't know things and then finding yeah, out absolutely. like where where you fit into the the team in general like every team is is different i i've never worked with two teams that operate the same way so like part of product management it literally is like finding out how things are operating finding out like where you fit in and and how things are going to to work and then Getting in, not, not necessarily that you have to fit within that framework, you know, because you can change it and adjust it as, as a product manager, but at least understanding it so that you can get in and work within, you know, the the team and, and contribute and do all of those things. Like you have to, you really have to understand it before you can get in and make changes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you don't understand the status quo, it's, it's really hard to to suggest how things might be different, but I mean, I like, you know, just kind of to, to, to double down on that point. I think that's absolutely the case that, you know, as you, as you grow more senior and you've seen more different ways of doing things, you just realize that there isn't like the, the one like tried and true recipe for success. Right. I mean, um, and I think, you know, sometimes earlier in your career, you think that it is there and other, like everybody knows that you, know, you just don't. So you just kind of pretend, but yeah, the, the, the earlier you realize that that's not the case and yet that you should just be remain curious and ask questions. And then, you know, once you've asked enough questions and kind of gathered enough information, then you can maybe say, Hey, you know, could we, could we try this or that instead yep. or whatever?
0: Yeah. And then you, you touched on what, what I think is just a, a super important point is making sure that get, you get engineers and the engineering team involved in understanding the why. So you as a product manager understand them and you get the engineering team understanding the the customers and understanding what you're doing and understanding why they are doing the things because you literally can't as a product manager dictate every decision and and engineers will be making tons of decisions throughout like the product and throughout the development and if they don't understand the reason that they're building something they they won't necessarily make a bad decision, but they may not make the decision that is best for the product just simply because they don't have the full context and so making sure that they do have that full context is such a huge part of product management, not only so that they have that motivation but also so they make those really good product decisions and also so that like you don't slow them down and and we can just keep moving forward quickly with what we're building and what we're doing. I've seen teams and organizations where that isn't the case and um you know where it's either like full like requirements documents that can never possibly capture everything and that just it bogs things down so quickly or every decision has to be like vetted out and that also bogs things down so quickly. So like if everybody has like a shared understanding, it can be so much better and so much more powerful to move forward. It can be a l- really messy as you build that up, which is why product management can be much more art than science. But it becomes much better like as you build than you know, if you tried to either dictate everything or tried to keep like an engineering team in only in development, without ever understanding the context.
1: Yeah, it can feel faster to get started if you yeah. don't build up that context, right? Because you can just like you know, it's just maybe it, just the product manager or maybe mm-hmm. product manager and designer just kind of hashing things out, um, and then you know that can feel fast and can feel like like you're making a lot of progress early on. But then you know, like the in in most, especially most com- for most complex problems, the that part of the the process is just going to be very short and, and quick, regardless of, you know, even if you spend more time actually building up that context, but then, you know, the implementation phase is just going to be much, much easier and much, and much smoother. And also, I mean, I think, you know, all of these micro decisions that the engineers take, they might not even have an effect right then and there, but you know, just once the next version comes around or whatever, you know, the next improvement, then it's going to just turn out, Hey, you know, the decisions that we made in the previous phase on the engineering side, you know, they, they, they end up holding us back in terms of how we can change things. And that's, you know, because the context wasn't there for the engineers to, to, you know, to really uh, like appreciate, Hey, what are ways in which we might in future change this so that it can, you know, cover additional use cases that, um, that our customers might have or whatever, you know, additional adjacent problems, whereas if the, if the engineers were involved and, and heard customers talk about their problems, you know, they can probably envision that themselves. Hey, you know, it might be cool if in the end, you know, like a, as a future version, we might be able to add this or that. So I'll build the the code and the architecture in a way that's yep. going to make that possible. Right. And, you know, those are things that typically you don't even see as a product manager, like you're not, you're not going to be there for every single, like architectural decision on the technical side. Um, so yeah, that's, that's I think what, what makes this so crucial.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. It's so, so important. You, you, you wrote a little bit about this too. Well, you, you wrote quite a bit about, um, you know, kind of the, the discomfort of a great product team and how we, we kind of manage the, the being able to have these kind of discussions and debates and, and work uh, because it can be, you know, we've been talking about like as we get started, it can be kind of messy and, uh, it's a lot of gray area and things like that. Um, you know, what, what experiences have you had in, you know, some of that, uh, managing the discomfort of, of a really great product team as as we start to get in and have lots of ideas and um you know manage that uh, all of the, i guess the confluence of things kind of coming together as we start to get ready to build you know a great product um you know what has been your experience in that area
1: Yeah i mean let me kind of maybe start by um you know giving a little bit of background there so so the this the, the article about the discomfort of a great product team was inspired by one of my like my favorite articles that i've that I've ever read um you know about diversity um and how diverse teams feel less comfortable and and that's why they perform better and the The insight there is you know, and of course like the the angle of that particular article was about really diversity and inclusion and why it's important um but I think there's just so many takeaways from that that it's you know just being in the comfort zone and being comfortable around each other as a team and, and, you know, not, not experiencing any discomfort is not a sign of a high performing team. You know, I mean, there should be, of course, there should be psychological safety and you should still feel, you know, trust and, 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 and that as a team. So, you know, it's, it's not about like a, um, a toxic environment, but there should be a healthy level of disagreement of discussion of debate. And, you know, that can sometimes feel uncomfortable, right? And you know, there should be sometimes decisions where, you know, not everybody is going to be exactly happy with the decision that was taken. So because otherwise, you know, it means that either everybody has just kind of completely tuned out and somebody is just making the decisions, and everybody else just doesn't care anymore. Right. I mean, that's not a great situation to be in or everybody just thinks completely alike, in which case you're probably, um, not considering all the options, not considering all the perspectives, you know, kind of just to, you know, uh, just kind of falling prey to group think, which is also not a, not a great situation. So I guess the, the question is, um, how do you establish that the, uh, the a team in which you have that that kind of healthy level of discomfort. Oh yeah. One other aspect that I wanted to add, to add there is of course that every growth comes with, with, you know, with discomfort, you know, growing means going out of your comfort zone doing something that's not comfortable. And I think that's the same thing as a team. Like you grow, if something is hard, if something, you know, there's, there's something where um, it doesn't feel always feel great in the moment. And of course, like there there's a healthy balance, right? Like if it's, if you, <laughs> um, if it feels too, uncomfortable, then people might just withdraw, yeah. um, from the process altogether or from the team altogether. So I think, how do I think about this? And, and also what would have my experience has been there? I mean, I think my, my experience has been like the the greatest performing teams that I've been a part of were the ones where people were super engaged and also had like really heated debates about about stuff. But then in the end, you know, we're all happy to just kind of move, move together, move forward together. So I think, Basically, creating that trust base um, and creating that that basis of psychological safety is really important. It's of course not something that any product manager can do on their own. I mean, it's you know, it, it has to do with the culture of the company. It has to do with the uh, the leadership of the team, or that's kind of you know the the respective functional leaders or whatever. So you know, um, but of course, everybody on the team is also responsible for that. And I think. Um, product managers, even though they're not often technically managing anyone on the on their team they, they, you know, product management is still a leadership position uh, in a way and uh, uh, requires leadership characteristics. So you're, you're certainly one that can, um, that can help establish that. So I think that's, you know, that's one of the aspects that I definitely would always think about is how do I make sure that I create that level of psychological safety and trust on the team. and And then also how do I encourage people to speak up, speak their mind, and, you know, doing that by, you know, there's there's of course, several ways that you can do that. I think, you know, one, one of the aspects, you know, where this just comes back to what we just talked about is making sure that you actually involve everybody early on in the kind of why phase and the context building phase. Because if you don't have, you know, the, if an engineer who doesn't have that context, it's going to be very hard for them to, to, to argue, Hey, you know, should we do something else entirely here? Wouldn't that be more valuable to the customer if they don't even, if they haven't, haven't ever met the customer. Right? Yeah. I haven't ever spoken to the customer. I haven't ever heard like it, it kind of from the horse's mouth of what, what the, <laughs> uh, what the issues, uh, what the issues are, the problems are that, we're, that we're, we're trying to solve. So, you know, it starts there certainly, you know, uh, building up that context. Um, so, you know, that's, that's often something that as a product manager, you can really help encourage, you know, just by making sure that you will you to bring people in early in the process bring them along as you're doing, uh, kind of customer discovery, customer conversations. Um but then also, you know, you can you can make sure that you really facilitate that through kind of joint brainstorming session, joint discussions, joint ideation sessions. You know, of course there are formats that you can that you can follow that are specifically designed for that, like design sprints or something. But you know, you don't have to like do something fancy like that. It's just about actually like giving people the space and giving, giving, giving people the opportunity and also asking for their opinions. Right. Because I think often you have to, to foster that culture somewhat, especially, um, you know, with, with engineers and, you know, I'm kind of putting in a special focus there on engineers just because on many product teams, that's kind of the majority of the people on the team. And often like the product and design collaboration, you know, more naturally has a bit of that debate character because you're kind of working together early in the, uh, early in the process. But, you know, that's just two voices, right? And, you know, if you then add whatever, let's say five engineers, or however many engineers might be on the team, you know, that's just more perspectives more different ways of looking at the problem um and yeah that in the end can lead to more debate and lead to more discomfort but that then leads to better results because you've you've actually now taken in more perspectives taken in more uh different viewpoints more opinions um and in the end like synthesis or whatever it, path forward you decide on will be better for that just because you've, you know, you've kind of tried out more, more different options. Um, so yeah, that, you know, like, again, it actually like dovetails very nicely with the discussion on engineers that we had earlier, Yeah. It's, it feels like it slows you down. It feels like it makes things harder. It feels like there's more disagreements and you could just avoid them by, you know, streamlining things a little bit, but you know, the the streamlined process in this case is not always the better one or or actually very often it's going to be the the worst one. Right. And (laughs) to me, you know, one of the things there, you know, and again, like that touches on another thing that we said earlier about, you know, trying more different, like, you know, trying out many, like having many shots on goal essentially, because you know that some of them will miss. And if you, generate more ideas, if you take in more uh more perspectives, more opinions, the the you would just multiply the chances of one of them being you know actually workable in the end and actually delivering the the value that you uh that you are hoping for. So yeah, that's kind of to me the benefit, even though it might feel messy, it might feel discomfortable, it might feel um yeah, it might feel like you're just kind of wasting energy, but in the end the energy is not going to be wasted because you know the payoffs are just kind of delayed.
0: Yeah. I I absolutely agree. I, I I love all of that. Putting in especially the work up front where it it gets really messy and anybody who's been through that process like a number of times knows that it is it can be super messy in especially in that discovery area where you're trying to get to what is the right thing? How do we go about it in the right way and and how do we bring all of these different especially bringing different viewpoints in? It can feel Chaotic, even when you know you start to bring in a whole bunch of people, to the point where it gets it gets really uncomfortable. You have that, like you mentioned, the discomfort of a a good product team, because hopefully you have multiple voices and perspectives coming in from different ways, saying you know have we thought about this or this or doing it this way, and I mean the comfortable way is to come at it like you said with just like one or two people saying this is the way we're going to do it and here it is. And then you hand it off and then engineering team builds it and that sort of thing. And that's a way to get either like bad or mediocre products and experiences, but like going through the messy process of incorporating all of these different perspectives and, and thoughts into it is probably a slower and messier way up front, but then allows you to be much faster and create something much better because you don't get a little bit down the road and think, oh no, have we, why didn't we think of this thing? Or, you know, we didn't, we didn't fully consider this other way or this other perspective. And now we have to go back or now we have to just not do it this other way that might've been better because we didn't think about it and that sort of thing. So I, I love everything that you said. I I think dealing with the discomfort and just understanding that creating something good is going to be uncomfortable, um, especially in the beginning, but it gets you a much, much better experience and much, much better product in the end.
1: Yeah. I think like one of the, you know, just kind of to add to that, I think one of the reasons that this, early discussion with more people can be so messy is that the problems are messy and the world is messy, right? <laughs> and you're, if you're just kind of abstracting way or like simplifying some, I mean, of course, like in the end, you'll have to have some abstraction and some simplification. Um, but if you simplify too early or kind of too early on, um, disregard some of that complexity and just kind of completely cut it off from the, uh, you know, from, the whatever you're building, um, then chances are you've kind of hidden away some of the complexity that that was actually important to consider. And, you know, that's the, so this mess that's, that's there, that's present in the real world. If you bring that into the the early discovery phase, you know, then hopefully, um, you know, you'll find a, an abstraction or a simplification later on that, that more accurately re- represents or, uh, you know, that, 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 mess that's that's present in the real world and and more accurately solves for that
0: yeah no i i I absolutely love that it's our discovery is messy because the world is messy and and we have to acknowledge that and embrace it really that i think that's perfect cool i wanted to touch on uh, one other article that you wrote on risk management and how product management really is fundamentally about risk management and on a couple of different aspects of risk management, but tell tell us a little bit more about how product management really is about risk management from from your perspective
1: yeah, so I mean I think for me the biggest the biggest reason there is this kind of fundamental uncertainty that is inherent to to all product development in that you just never know if any idea that you have if any approach that you take is actually going to be successful in the end um you know if if that wasn't there um you know if if you just had to basically any any idea that popped into your head or any idea that that was brought up about you know a better way to solve a, a certain problem If that, you know, in the end would turn out to be successful, then you really wouldn't need product managers. You know, then you would have a designer who, you know, makes it look pretty. And then you have an engineer who builds it. And that's, that's it. Right. I mean, if that was the case, then, um, you know, we we really would not need product managers. So, so what are product managers there for then? And why is product management like risk management? yeah because there are these these fundamental risks that are that basically cause this uncertainty and the you know the um the the fact that you don't know what's going to work and what isn't going to work and you know I'm, i won't take credit for uh, for like these risks or even the idea that you need to manage them uh, i just you know thought it was an interesting way of thinking about it because risk management sounds like something that is so uh, so, so stodgy, like something that you would do, you know, somebody like in a in a bank would do to, like, yep. you know, manage their financial exposure or whatever. Uh, but if you think about it, that is, really you know, that is really at the heart of it, uh, at the heart of, of product management is managing those risks. And of course, you do that in a different way than somebody in the bank would, or you know, maybe in kind of a on a construction site or whatever. But you're still managing risks. So, what are those risks? What are kind of the, the framework that I like? There um, uh, is, is Marty Kagan's four big risks, which are um, value risks. So the, the risk of can we build something valuable? It's, it's feasibility. Can we actually build it? It's usability. Can our users use it? Our customers use it? Can they actually you know use the solution that we put in front of them? Um, and then it's also viability risk. So does it make sense for our business? Um, and then I also like adding um, adding a fifth risk, which um, you know for example Teresa Torres has brought up, which is kind of ethical risk. Should we build this? You know, is this something if we build this that we can kind of uh, still look at ourselves in the mirror or, you know, if this was put on the cover of the New York times would be, we feel, um, we feel proud that we did this. So I think those are some of the risks. And of course, like how do you then manage those risks? So that's kind of where, I guess the, the more product management specific, or let's say digital product specific mechanisms and tools come in like, you know, identifying what are your riskiest assumptions, like assumption mapping, identifying which ones are your riskiest assumptions, and then designing like the minimum test that you can to, to test those assumptions, you know, be it through, uh, just user research customer conversations through prototyping. And, you know, it really depends on if you have these five risks, like what are the, what, what are the ways to validate those assumptions? Um, And, you know, sometimes if you cannot validate something, then you might mitigate it, which is another thing that you do in risk management, right? I mean, you can either like eliminate risks or you can perhaps mitigate them where you just say, well, you know, maybe we don't fully know, but can we somehow make it so the assumption just isn't as critical anymore because, you know, we're kind of working around it. So, so that's kind of the, that was kind of at the heart of the, uh, the article and the, the thought that I had. That you know, kind of your glorified risk manager as a product manager. It (laughs) sounds the the title sounds nicer, but in the end, like if there wasn't risk, then you wouldn't be doing product management, and and the better you are at reducing these risks, the the better product manager you are in the end, because you know then you'll have fewer failed attempts of improving your product. Um, I think you know that to me is is another, I guess maybe corollary to this that. Some people who come into product management think that the best product managers are the ones that have the best ideas, and you know that you kind of have have product sense in the in the sense of hey, you know, I I can I have all of these brilliant ideas how to make the product better. But in the end, like for me, you know, I always say ideas are dime a dozen. You know, I have not worked on any product where there wasn't um, an, an abundance of ideas for how to um, how to improve the product, and the problem is always. How do you know which ones are the good ones and how do you basically validate that quickly? Because in the end, like even very smart people um, that know the product, that have great products and can disagree on which ones are the most promising ones. So um basically making sure that you have some way of of learning that quickly and, and also prioritizing which ones to test, um, you know, that that is what Great product management is about, it's not about having the best ideas.
0: Yeah. I, I think you've absolutely nailed it. I love the summation of product management where if, if, if everything was a sure thing, like really product management would be pointless. Like we, you wouldn't need product management at all. And it's not, like you said, it's not about just the ideas because I think all of us probably have an idea backlog. That stretches, you know, beyond anything that we could ever accomplish. Uh, as far as what we want to do with our products, and and frankly, probably the companies that we work for, and maybe even the side things that we want to do. Like the ideas are there. It's about which are the best ideas. How do we find that out? And how do we how do we figure out what is most likely to be successful? We can't ever know like what's going to be successful for sure. But how do we figure out what's most likely to and what's going to deliver the best results in for our users for our business and what's going to do that the fastest and in the best way and minimizing those risks you talked about. I think that's, that's absolutely spot on. That That's really great.
1: Yeah. And the nice thing about this is that, you know, in this kind of iterative risk management process, which is not at all like a risk management process, <laughs> you know, or, or like in a, in a bank or whatever yeah. is that, you know, as you actually validate those assumptions and as you learn more, the ideas keep getting better, you know, any, like you can start with a pretty poor idea, but if you kind of validate that in, like incrementally, Test assumptions and and correct and course correct like that poor initial idea can become a brilliant idea later on, and it's probably better than any that you would have just kind of come up with if you hadn't gone through this incremental process of of learning and, and like validating assumptions. so I think that is that is kind of the beauty of it as well
0: yeah, yep, I think that's that's spot on so let me ask you for a, you know we've talked about a bunch of things uh you know working with engineers uh working with in kind of that messiness of product discovery and product development and uh the you know the the process of managing risk for for somebody you know who's young in their career starting out in product um you know what are some of the things that they could do to, to really either get into product or advance their career you know, right now? Like what, what would be some things that either you wish you had done or, or you su- would suggest to somebody who's kind of either starting out or pretty, pretty new in their career?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like maybe one of the themes that has kind of, uh, like, uh, span across this conversation is, is that of listening, right. And of, of listening and learning and just Admitting admitting what you don't know, and I mean, I think like it's. It, I mean, as I said, like as we both said it's. It's really hard. Like the more junior you are, the more you feel like you have to predict something that you're not. Um, but like honestly, you know, just listening a lot, and you know, I think that's that is true on on several different areas. I mean, I think one of the things that we haven't touched on that much is like talking to customers. I think that is is one of the things where like any product manager hopefully has good excuses to do that. Um, you know, just kind of talk to customers as much as you can and, and learn about their problems. And I mean, I've, I've always said, like there hasn't been a single customer conversation that I've had, I think where I didn't learn something new, and I didn't learn something that I didn't know about our product and how it was being used. So I think that to me is, is certainly like the number one step because it, you know, it just builds up empathy and it builds up, um, just a great repository repository of, of knowledge and of ideas and of uh, of perspective, you know that that also just helps you understand that you are not the representative for like anyone using your product. Um, so I think you know talking to customers, talking to the people on your team, um, you know building building up that knowledge about how they are working, what the challenges that they are facing, uh, and you know how how they are doing their job. Um, I think you know building up that empathy of for both people that you work for, your customers, people that you work with, uh, the people on your team, your stakeholders. I think that is certainly I think to me that the biggest point of leverage that you have early on. And I mean, there people if you if you're early in your career, then everybody knows that you're early in your career. So yes, maybe you 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 you're, you're trying to pretend that you're kind of playing in a in in the big league or whatever, but you know, in the end everybody knows that it's that that it's okay for you to ask questions because you, you can't know everything yet. So I think, you know, that, that to me is like the, um, the biggest thing. Um, of course, like also there's lots of good stuff to read and, and, and learn and, you know, the, the resources of our product management are kind of endless. Um, so there's definitely lots of good things to good books to read, good articles to read. Um, you know, I think I, I certainly, you know, I'm, I'm personally a, a reader and a learner and I, Um, I'm never done reading and learning and, and, you know, um, just kind of getting more additional perspectives on, on what I should be doing and could be doing. And, you know, like, you know, even, even after many years in the profession, I I read things and I'm like, yeah, I haven't tried that. I should try that, you know, and just kind of having a, having a list of things to try and experiment with from whatever sources that you, um, you know, that you kind of, uh, that you read that you watch that you listen to i think that's that to me is is another good piece of advice
0: yep uh i think that's perfect um that is i think absolutely perfect ex- advice uh, continue to be curious and learn as much as you can from all of those different places so final question for you from me is what has been your favorite moment so far in your career
1: yeah. I mean, uh, you shared this question with me beforehand. <laughs> so I had some time to think about this and I'll, I'll, I'll share two, um, one kind of more, one, one is more product management. One is more product leadership, um, moment. And I think in general, I would say the, the favorite moments are the hard earned ones, the hard earned ones, the ones where you had to go through some pain to get there. Um, so from a product management perspective, I'll, you know, I'll share like a, quick like a quick summary of something that i could talk for hours about <laughs> um so when i um when i worked at yammer one of the well the biggest project that i worked on um was was shipping in the ability to to edit posts sure. so for those of you who are not familiar with yammer you can basically think of it as like facebook for for in, in internal took that's internal to a company <laughs> and of course um so when we built this this was in like 2016 17 maybe Um, yeah, 16 to 17, I think, um, Facebook had, had, Already ship there the ability to um, edit posts. Of course, Twitter is famously famously not, still not allowing that. So you know we had some we 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 had seen how how to perhaps do it, but you know there's still plenty plenty of of product decisions that uh, that need to be taken. It's it's really a kind of a complex thing just in terms of all the trade offs that you can make. You know I'll just mention a few like you know do you have some kind of history? How do you avoid basically um, changing the 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 tone or content of a of a thread starter that somebody has replied to and not, uh, you know that makes the person who replied look bad but also more and more mundane things like you know i'm i mentioned somebody in my original thread and you know now i'm changing where i mentioned what does that do to the notification that was sent you know lots of these kind of detail questions so you know that that was already kind of tricky enough um, but to add to that we had plenty of technical problems in the sense of um, firstly the And was kind of one of the underlying assumptions that the architecture was built with—that a message can never change. Um, You know, so you know, if you're kind of the the more technical, people will understand what that means. And you know, just in terms of like caching, how data propagates through the system, they were just—you know—everything was optimized for uh, with a constraint that messages can never change. So we had to kind of completely upend that. Uh, We also made the decision of building on a um, on a you know new. Microservice that was still being built and the uh, uh, that was then abandoned halfway through the project, <laughs> when we had to like uh, build around that and took on the the microservice that some other team had abandoned and you know had to complete at least the the parts of it that were uh, that were required. And yeah, also we had already started demoing the feature like you know kind of at a customer conference like three months into the project, but the project would take another six months. So like mm-hmm. when we actually finally shipped this thing with like lots of cut corners, um, and everything, but still it was like the, the like customer uh, reaction was super positive because, you know, most people like all of the edge cases that we had to basically drop under the table, like they didn't care about that. Most people were just like, Hey, I made an embarrassing typo and I want to correct that. And that was certainly the use case that we, that we had covered. So that was, a you know, nine months of, of, of work. Um, but in the end, very happy, um, very happy ending and very like happy about the positive feedback that we got for that. Um, the other anecdote that I wanted to share, um, is one where, you know, that was where I really kind of a moment where I've, i felt myself growing as a, as a manager and as a product leader. So there we had a, um, we, we had a, and um, well, this was when I was at eight, fit we had a, a project that was, you know, somewhat challenging. There was an, um, an engineer working direct to, together directly with the designer, um, exploring some, um, some new direction. You know, it doesn't really matter what the, what the exact problem there mm-hmm. was. Uh, but there, you know, there, it seemed like there was not really alignment the designer was doing like exploring a different direction than the engineer and they weren't really working together. And, you know, it was, it was a, a big mess. And I was head of product. I wasn't really involved, but it was kind of like the project was there and I was trying to like, you know, see if I can get them aligned. It wasn't working. Um, and I didn't really have the capacity to, to think about it. Um, and, you know, it was kind of dragging on for weeks. Um, and eventually I took the decision to, give this to one of my product managers. And it was, it wasn't really like in his area or whatever, but I, you know, I approached him and said, look, there's this really messy problem there. I want you to go in and try if you can fix it. And, you know, he, I knew that he was good at stakeholder management. I knew that he was good at basically getting in different perspectives and aligning them. And, um, I, you know, at that moment I I felt bad of like, you know, taking this messy problem where I felt like I should have already solved this, but I just didn't have the time for it. And, you know, just passing it to one of the people that were working for me. Um, but you know, this, this kind of delegation of uh, it's it, it, like, you know, just a, a few weeks later, the whole problem was resolved. And I was talking to the person that I had given this problem to, and he was, he, he told me, you know, this, it felt really scary and difficult at the beginning, but I also felt like, you know, if it felt Great to resolve it and also felt like, you know, the trust that was put in me to to take this messy thing that's kind of off the rails and, and putting it back on track, uh, was great. And you know, that just felt so good for me as a, as a manager, as a leader that, Hey, you know, this actually, it helped in the end, it helped everyone involved. It helped me because I, you know, I just didn't have the capacity to solve it. It helped him because he grew on it and he, you know, had a like really a moment of success and it helped the company and the team um, because you know, there was this messy situation that this was now resolved and we had some, some good way forward. So, yeah, I mean, again, like that's just an, when you move from like an individual contributor role to a management role, it's, it's often that you feel like the, the, the hairiest, the biggest problems you should still take on and solve because you are the most experienced, but like really those are also the opportunities for people on your team to grow. And you know, that's, that's kind of a tangible situation where I realized that and where I was really glad to to have made that decision in the end.
0: Yep. Oh, that's great. Uh, those are great. Thank you for sharing. Well. Jens thank you so much for for joining. Uh this has been such a, a great conversation. I feel like we could dive into each of these topics individually for at least like an hour. On any specific one but uh is there any i guess are there any final thoughts that you have before we kind of wrap things up
1: mm, no not really okay. um this has been a this has been a fun conversation and yeah i mean like i, co- I could talk about many <laughs> of these things for hours but um but yeah i mean it's, it's always fun to like you know kind of step back and um and and, re- and reflect on what's happening and, wh- and like things that I've experienced as well over the course of my career. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for, for sharing some of your experience. I think this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. Um, where can people go to find out more about you? Uh,
1: yeah, you can find me, um, on my website, which is, uh, JEFAGO.com or on Twitter at uh, M R J E F A G O. Um, and yeah, you'll find links to also other places. You can also find me on medium. Oh on linkedin i I publish my uh, my I, I triple post my uh my article on, on medium uh, on, on LinkedIn and on my own personal website and of course I also post in the twitter
0: awesome okay we'll we'll put the links in the show notes to all of those so uh check out the links in the show notes for uh, all of the different places and again you know thank you so much for for joining and before we go I don't know if you have any Uh, we usually end with a a shout out or a gripe for, for something that you've been using any products. I don't know if you have any shout outs or gripes on stuff that you have. uh, Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, I think like the, the one that immediately came came to mind is uh, what I'm wearing in my ears right now, my, (laughs) uh, my AirPods, which I really have a love hate relationship with (laughs) because I mean, I love them in the fact that, you know, they are a really well-designed product. Um, and yeah i mean i i don't think i could could kind of live without them anymore but i also really do not understand how apple could have made the kind of auto connection functionality so bad it like continuously um switches to the wrong device and i don't know how that's possible because you know like all the apple magic um and then, then you're like you know you have the little you know when you kind of flip open the case and it's meant to show up on your phone display like Half of the time it doesn't work and I don't know why. And it just kind of drives me mad that I had to like, I had to like install this widget shortcut to connect the the, the AirPods to my phone. And also that doesn't work always. It's just, I, I just don't understand you know, how, how Apple can make such an experience so bad. Like I have my, I have my like, you know, trusty five plus years old Bose uh, yep. headphones that also connect to multiple devices, but I have never had the issue that, you know, accidentally I play music on my phone and it comes out the speakers instead of the, the, uh, the earphones that I have in my ears. It's just, you know, I just do not understand how that experience is so bad. and hasn't been fixed.
0: Yep. Yep. No, totally, totally hear that. Uh, I, I, have the same complaint. I don't even rely on my Apple AirPods as much as most people do. Um, but I, I have the same issue. So, um, totally, totally agree. All right, um, I'll give I'll give a quick shout out here to uh, Headspace, which I I used for a while, and we've we've started using it again. It's a meditation app, so I'm going to be trying out probably a couple different ones over the next little bit. But this is the one we're starting with, and uh, uh, we're getting our kids into uh, some meditation and mindfulness practices. So they, they were all in, like we, we talked to them a little bit about it and they're like, yeah, we, we totally want to start doing that Cause they've been going to school for a little bit now and it's got them a little stressed out. And so like, maybe we should start doing like some little bit of meditation and mindfulness and, and start relaxing. And, and they're like, yeah, we should totally do that. So we're, uh, we've been using that for, for a little bit and they, uh, they have been enjoying it. So we'll, uh, give a shout out I'll, to I'll,
1: add, I'll add a i'll add a shout out then uh, i will mean, actually have, have maybe two more shout outs okay. so i mean uh, that just kind of made me think of so uh what we've been uh, we've been trying um so uh we've been using calm um okay. medi- also meditation app calm which has uh some thomas the tank engine meditations and okay. um uh, the our older one loves thomas the tank engine so um yeah i mean i feel like he's he's three years old, so he's still a little bit too impatient to actually sit through yeah. even like the these like 5 minute meditations but you know we've been trying and we've been uh you know sometimes when he like gets a tantrum or whatever we've been we've been trying to like uh use the like um tones the tank engine nice. calm your anger meditation so we'll see how that goes um i did want to add one other like yeah. uh, unrelated app shout out because we are on a podcast here after all um i've tried different podcasts, up, but I always keep coming back to pocket casts and, you know, I've, I've tried overcast. I've tried other, I've tried other apps, but pocket casts is somehow just the one that fits my mental model for how a podcast app should work. And I think that that to me is like the, the, maybe the biggest thing of like, you know, how, how does the app react to what I'm doing? Can I do what I'm doing? Or is it frustrating? Um, and in, in, in addition, I just love the the way that you kind of customize the playback. Um, I have my ideal playback speed at 2.3x, which, you know, I, I need that 0.3 extra uh, to just kind of save those precious minutes. So, so yeah, that's oh, another yeah. shout out.
0: Uh, nice. Um, 2.3. I don't think I've ever met anybody who's been faster than me I usually am like two to 2.1 so at going at 2.3 I I love it um <laughs> that that is awesome I might have to crank it up to 2.3 now just to, <laughs> to see what that's like but very very cool and we'll have to try calm I was looking at calm and I was between those two apps and so we we started uh using headspace and and just giving that one a try but we'll probably experiment with calm as well and see see how that one goes but though they both. Uh both looked good. So we'll,
1: yeah. And I think they both are. I, yeah. I, I also, I used to have a year long streak on, on Headspace yep. at some point, but yeah, that's, that's also <laughs> I, has, has been a while. Yep. Yep.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, again, uh, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. So uh, all right, we will uh, see you, see everybody again next time. Thanks again. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at ProdByDesign. That's Prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter, Product Thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.